And now, The Travel Show with Arthur and Pauline Fromer. Your chance to talk to the publishers of the nation's best-selling travel guide series. Whether your travel destination is around your corner or any corner of the world, the Fromers will help you get the most out of your travel experience and save you money at the same time. And now, Arthur and Pauline Fromer. And this is The Travel Show in which we talk about vacations. Welcome I'm Arthur Fromer. And I'm Pauline Fromer. And in the time ahead, we're going to be discussing travel. But that's not a conversation that has to just be between Dad and I. We'd love to have you be part of this party. So if you'd like to be on the show, and we have gotten guests that way in the past, we have had travelers ask questions, just email me. The address is fromertravelshow at yahoo.com. But even if you don't want to be on the show, even if you just like to listen, we hope that you'll come visit us at fromers.com. Fromers.com is our website. We put our heart and souls into it. Whether or not people are traveling, there's lots of great information there about cultures all over the world, about celebrations, about cuisine, about history, and it's photo-rich. We're just trying to bring travel to people who may or may not be traveling. You'll also find that if you follow us on social media. You can follow us by looking for the word Fromers, F-R-O-M-M-E-R-S, on Instagram, on Pinterest, on Facebook, or on Twitter. Now, Pauline, we have to remember that on a recent broadcast of this program, you and I spoke about the most memorable trips we had ever taken in the world of travel. We, we, we chose that topic because currently we are not traveling. We are all staying at home in response right. to the, uh, the uh, urgings of various public officials and the like. But it is appropriate that we talk about the most memorable moments of our travels in the hope that we will regain that attitude fairly soon when this terrible uh, 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 coronavirus. coronavirus is over yes. and we get back to the world of travel. Now, uh, in, in our broadcast uh, last week, uh, I talked about four or five of the most memorable trips that I'd ever taken, and, and now I have about eight more. If you, All if right. you will let me, if sure. you will let me say, in fact, earlier in speaking with Ralph Potts, I talked to me talked to him about the fact that the most memorable moments of my travel were when I went to Copenhagen and Stockholm, and I have two other prosaic moments which were highlights of, of my travels. And that was in my first visits to Venice and Florence. Certainly, none of us will forget the impact of seeing Venice for the first time. And it's it's not even necessary to talk about what that impact is. That's an incredible uh, world attraction. But also going to Florence, seeing the original David by Michelangelo, seeing the magnificent artworks that are available to us in the museums of, of Florence, Certainly, Florence and Venice are among the two, the, the top most memorable visits of our travels. How, how about you? Well, I was going to add, uh, in terms of Florence, people forget how rich that city is. Uh, 
Italy has one third of all the UNESCO World Heritage sites in the world, and the vast majority of them, or the biggest number, are in Florence. So you can just spend days going from the Duomo to the Uffizi to other incredible uh, sites in that city. I was going to talk a little bit about um, being a young mother and trying to travel. When my older daughter was about four and a half and my younger daughter was, no, she must have been just four, and my younger daughter was still a baby, or maybe four and a half, we went to Ireland, uh, which is a hard thing to do when you go to a and b in Ireland. Now, B&Bs in Ireland, I think, were created because in Ireland, most of the population is Catholic, and many of them have very large families. So they have houses with many rooms. And so when uh, their children grow up and leave, they often become B&B owners. And so we visited this delightful B&B uh, in the, on the Dingle Peninsula, where the owner couldn't have been kinder to us and couldn't have shown us the way better for how to deal with a baby. I mean, the very first night, the baby would not sleep. She was squalling and and my husband had to get into the car with her and just drive her around for two hours because we were so worried that the baby would keep up other guests at the B&B. Uh, but then uh, two days later, the owner of the B&B said, you know, I noticed that your daughter is looking a little bored. Why don't I invite over some of the neighborhood children to play with her? And she set up croquet in their backyard. <laughs> the children arrived. Their parents arrived. We all had a, a lovely party with tea and little cookies that she laid out. And it was probably one of my most memorable experiences. And despite- Pauline, it was an experience that you will never forget. And let's all hope and it. pray that we are all able to have that experience all over again as soon as this terrible uh, coronavirus epidemic is is beyond us. Yes. Um, What's your next I, one, Dad? I remember a memorable trip to Europe that is hard to pronounce. <laughs> it is the word Dijk, <laughs> and it refers to the wall, the 15-mile-long wall that the Dutch built in the, in the middle of the North, North Sea in order to protect the country of Holland, which is below sea level by at least 13 feet without, in order to protect it from being inundated by water, they actually asked every person in Holland to get into their rowboats, their steamboats, their, their sailboats, and dump rocks into the water of the, of the North Sea in order to create a, a, a wall. And on a particular day, after this wall was created, the Rhine River rose to an unbelievable extent, and had it not been for the wall that they built in the center of the North Sea, all of Amsterdam would have been inundated by 13 feet of water. Wow. And it is a wonderful lesson to all of us as what people are capable of achieving if they, if they, they, they decide to take this enormous step of walling off the North Sea. You can dr- drive, to, you can go to Holland, you can rent a car and you can drive over the 15-mile length of the Afslaut Dyke. And that, to me, was one of the most memorable visits of my travels. Wow. I guess another one was a very somber one. Uh, I was in Poland with my then eight-year-old daughter. And we were in Krakow, which is 
45 minutes from Auschwitz. And I thought, oh, is she too young? Do I take her to see Auschwitz? And I thought, when will we ever be back in Poland? And she is of Jewish heritage, and we should we should probably do this. And they took us, it was a three-hour long walk in a group where you saw things like big piles of um, crutches that were taken from people who were infirm and just thrown in a big pile, huge piles of shoes and bunks, uh, uh, bunk rooms where there were slanted bunks, things I hadn't realized that the Nazis had been so cruel. They had not given the people straight blunk bunks to sleep on. There were three decks and they all were slanted so that people were rolling into one another all night long because there would be three person people per bunk. Uh, and we went, of course, to the gas chambers where we learned all about it. And then, Dad, I met you <coughs> later on. And my well, daughter... It, it- It was on the very same trip that I went to Poland to join you, and the three of us (laughs) traveled to the little town of Lumza, Poland, which has a cemetery in which my grandparents are buried. Yes, but I never... Before we we get to that, uh, uh, I thought my daughter was bored during this whole tour. She just looked bored, and she went running up to you, Arms spread wide when we saw you again, when you came to visit, to join us uh, for the rest of the tour. You didn't go to Auschwitz with us. You hadn't, we weren't no, in Poland I didn't. yet. That's right. And the first thing she said to you was, Grandpa, Grandpa, did you know that the children died before their parents? Because gas rises. We saw the gas chambers. And oh, my. I, and I, I, my heart broke open, but... It's something she remembers to this day, and I, I think it's important that she knows about it. But it was a it was a rough thing. And then we went to Lumja, where we went to the uh, graveyard where your grandparents were born. I think we and talked we, about this on a recent that part of it. I think we talked about on a recent one. Uh, so. I, I don't think we did, Pauline. And I think that what we did is we searched out a photograph that we had of the gravesite of my grandfather, and we found it. And I was so emotionally moved by the experience that I that I stood next to it and I I gave a speech. I I said that I wanted him to know that his grandparents, the grandchildren, rather, had all reached the United States, that they all led happy, prosperous lives. And at that point, my little granddaughter interrupted me and said, but Grandpa, he doesn't speak English. He will not understand <laughs> a word that you say. Pauline, right. uh, list again another of the most memorable trips of your travels. Oh, my goodness. There have been so many, and we only, we have less than a minute left. Uh, so I guess uh, I'll say, oh, uh, uh, I guess maybe swimming into caves in Belize or well, uh, I would I would mention the Churchill War Rooms in uh, London. No yes. one should ever go to London without visiting the the area, the headquarters from which Winston Churchill directed the British war effort. Absolutely fascinating. They locked the door at the end of World War Two and kind of forgot about it until the 1980s when it was opened up again. So it's like going back in time. I'm looking at the clock. We have more of the show. All is pre-taped. So we hope you'll forgive us if some of it sounds odd in these times. But uh, don't turn that dial. We will be right back.
welcome back to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer here with my father, Arthur Fromer, and on the line, one of our favorite guests, intrepid traveler and Washington Post reporter, Andrea Sachs. Hey, Andrea, nice to speak with you. Great to be here, as always. So I always feel like saying Andrea has been to the ends of the earth, but this week, that's correct. Where did you go recently? I was in Antarctica, which sounds really far away, but when you're there, you're like, hey, I got here, and it wasn't so bad. Well, you said you were standing on line, the immigration line at Buenos Aires Aires Airport, and uh, you learned about a what you call a drive-by cruise. What is that? I hope that's not insulting, but I didn't realize. It was funny because the couple going on a larger cruise ship, the the cruise ship had a certain... Yeah. Sorry, a, a cruise, the cruise ship at a certain size isn't permitted to let their people land it's for environmental reasons. Huh. So anything with over 500 people, and so she was on a cruise ship with over 500 people, and oh. we were on a cruise ship or an expedition ship hmm. with 200. So she didn't realize that people could get off the ship. Wow. And I didn't realize there were ships where people had to stay on. Yeah. So I learned a lot of information been entering the country. Oh, absolutely. And so yours, you did get to uh, uh, get off the ship. But what I've been hearing about uh, expedition cruising is that it's a far more comfortable activity than it once was, that it's you don't rough it anymore on an expedition cruise necessarily. That's absolutely right. It has really gone upscale. We went with Cork Expedition, which is one of the older... I'm, just within the 10 years, we've seen so many popping up in 20 years. Yeah. But they are, they're docking their ship, and they're upgrading, and they're going to be helicopters. And one of the expedition leaders said they were asking for a submersible. They wanted a submarine, and there were spas and yoga and fine dining and afternoon tea with clotted wow. cream and scones as penguins are porpoising by. Wow. So you definitely have that contrast of the luxury it's a rugged landscape. And some boats do carry scientists, too, right? I, I've heard that uh, sometimes on the boats that tourists are on, you also have very serious people who cut their costs by, by traveling this way. Absolutely. And you don't see, from my research and from what I experienced, you're not seeing what you would on the Caribbean cruises and Mediterranean. You're not getting the entertainment, like Vegas-style entertainment. You're getting serious lectures about birds and whales and the environment and climate and really educational stuff. And when you go out into Antarctica and tour around, you just feel really like, oh, I get what I'm seeing because I listen to my lecture. Yeah, and and obviously because of coronavirus, because we've seen such a drop in the amount of people cruising, this is going to be more inexpensive than it has been ever before, most likely, because this had been a hugely expensive uh, activity, my guess is prices are going down. We are pre-taped, so that's a guess at this point. Um, Now, let's talk about some of the, the nuts and bolts of this. Where do you usually leave from to get to Antarctica? So you have two big choices, and I think most people go, they leave from Argentina or South America. Some, there are a couple ships that leave from New Zealand or Australia, but that trip is twice as long mm. and twice as expensive oftentimes. Right. So most people will fly to Ushuaia on the tip, uh-huh. and then from there get their ship. The larger boats will go Buenos Aires to Santiago, uh-huh. because uh, Ushuaia is a pretty small port, but if you're taking the expedition cruise with smaller passenger capacity, you'll probably leave from Ushuaia. 
Which is a fun town. Yeah. It's just like a gateway to adventure. Yeah, no, definitely. I've always been, I've never done this because I get seasick on a swing. Uh, and so the idea of going through the Drake Passage, which most of these boats have to go through to get to uh, Antarctica, and it's known as the roughest passage on Earth, um, just uh, scares me too much. Did you go through this, and do do people have to fortify themselves for that? I did, but there is an alternative for you and other people who get seasick out of swing. You could fly, and mm. you can fly, and it's only about two hours. And you land on an island in the top of Antarctica, and you get your boat from there. Huh. So that's an alternative for right. you, uh-huh. and you skip it. But a lot of people love the Drake Passage because they love the adventure of it. Honestly, ours was like going on a duck pond. Like, seriously, it was really? so calm. I felt guilty. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. I didn't, I didn't. We were all bracing for it. Yeah. And everyone had their bracelets and their Dramamine, and then it was nothing. Really? It was really... Yeah, it was really smooth, and they say that I went in January. January, February can be really calm conditions. So that is the time to go, or uh, or interesting. And also, what is it like at that time of the year there, beyond the calmness of the seas? Is it dark? Is it light? What What's it like? It was light pretty much the day and we never saw real darkness wow so it's it like 20 24 hours of, of sunlight or 20 hours of sunlight thereabouts yeah it feels you know kind of twilighty huh like you feel like oh maybe i should have dinner it's 11 p.m but you don't feel like someone put the curtain down on you huh and then the wildlife is amazing because when we went the wildlife they have to move fast because they have a, a very short season to get sure. business done and so we saw the chicks that had just been hatched and they're all fluffy. Oh. And we saw a ton of whales that had been migrating to feed. And sea lion pups, we didn't see any, but I think a little later in the season they were coming out. Wow. And blue, blue skies, they hit temperatures up a record high in the 60s. Ooh. Yeah, well, that's scary, sure. but... but now, what were your fellow passengers like? Do you have to be agile? Do you have to be healthy to do this type of vacation? Is it rugged when you're on the land and seeing these pups and chicks and the like? What is great about it is that it really allows everybody of all physical capabilities to enjoy themselves. So you can just stand the ship and just look at the scenery. No one is forcing you to get in the Zodiac. Mm-hmm. You can just do the, the boat portion and just buzz around and then go back to the ship or you go on land and you walk around. It's very restricted, and unless you sign up for a really adventurous trip where you're snowshoeing or skiing or stand-up paddleboarding, you're basically just kind of walking around, never more than like half a mile or so. So it's not that you can make it as arduous as you want, or you can make it as easy and just sit on the rock and look at the wildlife. Well, it's a great article uh, for anybody who wants to read it. It's on the Washington Post site. It's called Antarctica is Becoming Easier to Visit. Here's how to get to the bottom of the world. And I love the fact that at the very end of it, you give advice on how people can find the right boat for them, which is so important on this type of a trip. We've been speaking with Andrea Sachs of the Washington Post. Thank you so much, Andrea, for appearing on the Travel Show. Thanks.
This is The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, here with my dad, Arthur Fromer, and we have another woman on the line who we consider a member of the family, too. She is Rosemary McClure. She wrote a book for us that we are so proud of. It's called Fromer's Yosemite and Neighboring Parks. Welcome to The Travel Show, Rosemary. Thank you, Pauline. It's so good to talk to you and your dad. I I'm really happy to be on the line today. Well, we're we're thrilled to have you on because it's a wonderful book, and we purposefully made it carryable because a lot of people who go to the national parks go into the back country and and see things. And do do you agree with me? I think for Yosemite, that is the key to really enjoying it. Uh, doesn't the sometimes just the valley floor? Well, let's let's discuss Yosemite a little bit and talk about how most people do it, and then maybe how you should do it. Okay, uh, Yosemite is very popular, as you probably know. It gets more than four million visitors a year, um, but most people only see the valley floor, yeah. which is about seven miles square uh, area, and and it is. It's fantastic. There are fantastic things to see in the valley floor. Uh, incredible waterfalls, yeah. uh, majestic uh, mountains. Uh, it's very, very beautiful. But beyond that, even if you can just drive a bit, you can see so much more. Uh, the, the High Sierra uh, is beautiful, and you can see a lot of it from Yosemite. Right. Uh, and and so you said the vast majority, something like 95%, only go to the valley floor. And I guess part of that is it is pretty easy to tour. You have some beautiful lodges down there. You have uh, a good ranger-guided hikes. If you do want to get off the beaten path, do you have to do that independently? Or, or are there ranger services to help you get a little further into the backcountry? Yeah, there are there are some tours that will get you further into the backcountry. They also have uh, they have uh, shuttles that will take you up, uh, and you can, for instance, hike down, hike through some areas where you'll pass a lot of waterfalls on the way to the valley floor. Um, so you you don't you don't have to have a car to do it. Um, you can find other ways to get back up into there, and that's really if you have a little bit of time. That's really the best way to see that park. Now, for listeners who've never been to Yosemite and who might be getting it confused with Yellowstone, happens a lot, <laughs> what are the hallmarks of the Yosemite experience, would you say? Uh, the waterfalls and the monoliths. Um, <clears throat> the, you often see people climbing some of the monoliths. Uh, that it is a big park. It's very popular with climbers. Now, let me ask you, that crazy movie where the guy climbed with no ropes, was that done in Yosemite? Can I believe it was. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was rough. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Half Dome and El Capitan yeah. uh, you know, are the, are the main uh, monoliths that you can see. And you can hike. Uh, you can get permits to, to hike up on some of those. Um, mm. it, it's do you have to prove your skills before you can do that? <laughs> well, they do lose quite a few hikers. Actually. <laughs> oh, my. No, you don't have to prove anything. You just have to, um, you know, you have to wait and get a permit. You can do it in advance. Uh, I think there's some permitting done on the spot right. uh, if you wait in line. But um, and and no, they they have it rigged so that if you're careful, uh, you can probably do it safely. But uh, it. You really have to have a lot of 
uh, strength to be able to go that high, to climb that high. We're speaking with Rosemary McClure, who is the author of Fromer's Yosemite and Neighboring Parks, and also seeing some of the, the, the redwood forest. That's another hallmark of Yosemite, correct? Yes. Uh, <clears throat> the big trees, Yosemite is known for the, its big trees, and certainly it, there is a, a section of the park that you can see. There's a shuttle. That, that area was just redone, as a matter of fact, yeah. and um, you can take an, a shuttle into the trees, and there are walkways to, that you can take. But, al- but also, you can see many more trees in Sequoia National Park, which is not very far from you. Well, I was going to get to the neighboring parks part of the title of the book in the next segment, but we'll, so we'll, we will <laughs> oh. definitely discuss that, absolutely. But if somebody wants to go to Yosemite, that's, that's one of the big name parks in the national park systems, and it does get overloved. Is there an ideal time of year to go? How far in advance do you have to book? What, what are some of the savvy ways to do it? Well, the the busiest time is what you would expect during the summer. Sure. And um, you can, uh, it, it, it's so busy then that if you're driving in, you might be in a line of cars that takes you three hours from the bottom of the mountain to, just to get into inside the park. And, right. And then you have a hard time finding parking. So um, it's difficult. You need to get up really early in the morning. You can do it hmm. if you... Leave your hotel very early um, and uh, drive in and maybe get there before 8 o'clock. Um, that takes a lot of planning. Sure. Um, if you want to uh, stay on the valley floor, though, how, lo- how far in advance do you usually have to book for that? Do you know? Well, some people book a year in advance, wow. of course. Um, but, uh, you know, they have tent camping and they have, uh, they have a variety of things. So uh, uh, oftentimes you can get those. Um, closer in, maybe two or three weeks. Right. And there are several small cities around Yosemite which have very nice hotels. Oh, yeah. Um, and that, that's a good idea, too. No, I was there in winter uh, for the first time, and it was the most harrowing drive down into the valley I think I've ever taken because I, I didn't have snow tires, which was oh. a big mistake, and it, it was snowing like crazy, and there were a lot of wrecks on the road. <laughs> yeah, I kind of there, slid down, but anyway. Yeah, there are three different routes in yeah. uh, to the main side of the park, and they vary vastly. And don't trust GPS is what I learned because I decided to go out a different way so I wouldn't have to go on that torturous drive. Anyway, I'm looking at the clock. We have to take a short break, but we'll be back with more of Rosemary McClure after these messages. Welcome back to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, here with my dad, Arthur Fromer. And on the line, we have Rosemary McClure, who is the author of a terrific new Fromer's Guide. It's called Fromer's Yosemite and Neighboring Parks. We've been discussing Yosemite, but now I want to get to the neighboring parks, because I think a lot of people only think about Yosemite, but there's so much to see and do in this area of California. So can you give us a nutshell description of those neighboring parks and why you would go to them? Uh, Sequoia and Kings Canyon are um, 
less well-loved than Yosemite. So one reason to go certainly is because they're not so crowded. Right. But uh, uh, besides that, they have incredible scenery, um, just amazing things to see. It's, of course, in the High Sierra, and um, there's beautiful... There, there are also waterfalls there and, and rivers you can raft and um, wonderful trees you can see uh, and places you can hike. Uh, Kings Canyon, in fact, is a park that's mainly hikeable. You can mm. drive very far into it, and you'll be so pleased you did. But if you're a person who likes to get into the backcountry, that's a good a good place to go, certainly. And do they need as much advanced planning as Yosemite? Do a lot of people do them as a multiple park road trip, or do most do one and done with Yosemite? I, I think people here in the West, um, I, I'm from California, and people here in the West tend to just go to one park or the other. Um, but people who are traveling a distance usually try to do more than one because this is such a fantastic part of California, and it's uh, it's relatively easy to access all three parks. So it, really, if you have a week or ten days, it would be great to go to all three parks. Now, which would you think would be better with children? Sequoia has a lot of um, kid kind of hikes that you can do, and they do a lot, uh, they have a lot of ranger things that are um, keyed to kids. Mm. So um, certainly, you'd, I think you'd definitely want to do Sequoia. It's a lot of fun. And there are also some very interesting lodges around that, that aren't necessarily right in the parks, but seem to be set up with families in mind that have little day camps even uh, to keep children busy. Yes, they do. There's some around the edges. Um, of the parks, uh, uh, certainly around Sequoia, um, on the river, and um, they they do have some uh, places you can go to um, where you can get day camps, as sure. you said. Yeah, absolutely. We are speaking with Rosemary McClure, who is the author of Fromer's Yosemite and Neighboring Parks. Now, we've been talking all about the nature, and that's probably the reason... 90% of visitors go to Yosemite and the neighboring parks, but if people have an interest in history, too, what, what would be the things in this region that one, one would go and see? Well, you know, this, this, these are actually some of the first parks. Um, the idea for NASA Parks started with, the first one was Yellowstone, but Yosemite and Sequoia were, the planning for them went into, were, they were government planned before mm. Yellowstone even, and um, there are certainly there are mining things to see and logging areas to see. Um, you had mentioned kids a little bit earlier. Right. You can. There are trees there that people used to drive through. Um, they're no longer doing that, though, right? No, they're not. But you can see them, right. and uh, and there are fun places to hike um, that where you can get a pretty good idea of what it was like. Is the is this landscape changing because of climate change? Yes, to a certain extent. That certainly um, the trees, uh, the air pollution is affecting the trees. But because this is in a pretty uh, pristine area of the state, along the ridge of the High Sierra, um, it, it ha- has had less change than some of some other areas. Certainly. Hmm. So, so it's not like this is a. Everybody seems to be wanting to go to the iced in destinations like Alaska, Antarctica, Arctic. Yeah, before they're gone. Before I, they're I, gone. And I, I don't think that's really. Um, certainly, there are changes because sometimes 
we've had um, beetle uh, infestations and things that have killed swarms of trees. We've had fires, some huge fires there, and those certainly have affected um, the trees. But for the most part, it, it's beautiful. It was beautiful, and it still is. Yeah, absolutely. And what I, one of the grand things to do there, beyond getting out into the wilderness, is having a, a meal at that at the uh, the Grand Lodge on the uh, on the valley floor. I'm blanking on its name. What is it's uh, the Awani? The Awani. Yes, yeah. such an incredible example of what they call parkitecture. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of those magnificent buildings that looks like it was carved out of a redwood tree with soaring yeah, ceilings. Ah. It is beautiful. Yeah, just and just the the people you meet are so in love with Yosemite. I mean, that's that's what really hit me when I was there. Just the all the rangers and even just the staff and the restaurants were clearly besotted with where they were. Yes, that's that's true. And you, and you get visitors who go constantly. People yeah. people from. You know, nearby counties, they're just up there all the time. Yeah. Well, we have been speaking with Rosemary McClure, author of Fromer's Yosemite and Neighboring Parks. We thank you so much, Rosemary. Thank you, Pauline. I had a good time. Thanks. listening to the Fromer Travel Show. Dad, we started this hour talking about some of the best travel experiences we've ever had. Why don't we end the hour doing the same thing? What's another one you would recommend? Another another great experience would be the Grand Canyon in, in Arizona. Every American has to see it. Another one was the drive that you can take from the city of Albuquerque in New Mexico to Santa Fe, New Mexico. It is an extraordinary experience, and it's one that I remember with such fondness, even uh, later on till today. Why? I've never been to New Mexico. What makes it special? The landscape makes it special, Pauline. It is completely untouched. It is. Uh, it reminds you of the paintings of that, that so many famous artists have made of that area, uh, and 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 in it there is preserved the wonderful history of the development of, of New Mexico that took place uh, in, in, the, in the 19th century. Huh. Uh, I really want to go. I've never been to, to, and I have to agree with you, when you go to the Grand Canyon, if you ha- you know, you know it's going to be a big hole in the ground, but nobody really, pre- nothing prepares you for the incredible scope of it and the different sculptural shapes of these buttes rising in the middle and looking down and seeing the river kind of snaking through it and knowing that it was the water, uh, which is seemingly a soft force. But it was water that shaped this massive glorious artwork. In fact, I was just asked to be on the panel for choosing the next seven great wonders of the world. Uh, and the Grand Canyon had to be on my list. It was. Pauline, the reason that we are remembering all this is that we are all hoping and praying that we will return quickly to a day when we once again can experience these memorable moments of our travels throughout the world. And, you know, even if we 
aren't traveling right now, if you come visit us at Fromers.com, which is our website, we have some great articles up right now about movies that really bring travel to you, that make transport you to another place, about travel podcasts uh, that are so much fun to listen to. And again, bring the richness and the diversity of the world right into your earbuds uh, uh, about great live streaming cameras. There are cameras set up all over the world where you can see bears hunting for salmon in Alaska, and you can see St. Peter's Square at the Vatican, and you can see different rides. We have a whole article up right now that's hilarious of people who put on little uh, GoPros onto their hats and then took all of Disney World's famous rides. And so even if you're at home, you can experience what it's like to go down this famous roller coaster or through the new Harry Potter exhibit. That's universal, not Disney, but you get the the, the gist. Uh, so please come and visit us at Fromers.com. Please get a guidebook. They're fun to read to plan future travels. We have to say goodbye for this hour. We thank you so much for listening. And, and we wish you, we wish you a hearty bon voyage. 